Hey, good morning, Madam Hills. Welcome to Church Online. Thanks for joining us today. We have a great service planned for you. But before we get to, into what I want to talk about, let's join together for worship. I'll never be more loved than I am right now. Wasn't holding you up. So there's nothing I can do to let you down It doesn't take control of me to make you proud I'll never be more loved than I am right now Going through a storm, but I won't go Every 
Welcome to Mendham Hills Online. We're really glad you're here. And if you're watching on Facebook, we'd love for you to say hi in the comments and share the feed to invite your friends and family to join us. Following our Facebook page is a great way to stay connected. So if you haven't already, go ahead and do it right now. And speaking of ways to stay connected, MHC Sit Up Life is the place to go for info and everything that's going on. If you have a question, use the contact us link to send us a message. MHCC.life is the place to go to share your prayer requests, and we consider it a privilege to pray both with you and for you. It's also the place to go to give online. Your gifts make all of our ministry possible as we look to spread the good news of Jesus and impact lives both near and far. If you're new to Menham Hills, please join us for lunch right next door on the deck at Grace House next Sunday. Come meet Pastor John and his wife Joan and hear about the heart of MHCC and why we do what we do. Space is limited, so sign up today at mhcc.life. Okay, it's September and that means it's time to sign up to join a group. We have groups for all ages and stages of life. Community groups, women's and men's groups, support groups, prayer groups, and a brand new Sunday morning Bible class. They will all be starting in just a couple of weeks. So go to mhcc.life and click on the groups link for all the details and to sign up. We wrapped up our MHCC Kids Sunday Fun Days last week with an ice cream truck. And now we're getting ready to move everyone up into their new classes next Sunday. I'm really excited to be seeing more and more happy faces each week. And I'd really like you to help me set a new record on Move Up Sunday. We have a special gift for our former fifth graders who are moving up to our youth group. So please make sure that you're there next Sunday. You know, Kids Club is one of the very best things Courtney and her team put together and our first through fifth graders love coming and love inviting their friends. It's all about fun, relationships and faith and it's all relevant to their lives right now. It's here at the church on Monday nights and of course registration is at mhcc.life. Our youth pastor Mike asked us to remind you that MHCC Students Kickoff is on Sunday, September 19th at Sky Zone in Mount Olive. It's going to be a great, loud, high energy, physically exhausting night, which is why it's a perfect way to start the ministry year. Register today at MHCC.life. And the really big news is a really big don't miss event, our 2021 fall kickoff. We're taking it outside this year. And while you definitely don't want to miss the food trucks, and we have both dinner and dessert options, the lawn games, the bounce house, and the prize drawings, you really, really don't want to miss the Summer Songs concert that's the icing on top of our Summer Songs series cake. This very important event is happening on Saturday night, September 18th. Make plans now to bring your family, your friends, your lawn chairs, and your blankets. And make plans to go to church online the next day because we won't be holding services in person. 
Okay, we're continuing our summer songs this week with one that was released in 1999 and became the signature song of the boy band that recorded it. Many critics have questioned its meaning because, quote, the lyrical contact makes zero sense. And one of the band members actually agreed with this in an interview saying, and this is also a quote, ultimately, the song really doesn't make much sense. But that didn't matter to Weird Al who recorded a parody or the advertising agencies who used it in commercials for Chipotle and Doritos. But even weirder than Weird Al is the fact that 12 years after its release, China's uh, Ministry of Culture required it to be removed from the internet for national security purposes. And now, without further ado, we give you our band singing a song that's very specific about something. We're just not totally sure what that something actually is.
morning, Mandem Hills. This morning, we are continuing our summer song series, and I felt like I was back in my sister's bedroom hearing them sing to this 90s tune, I Want It That Way. And I think to myself, if there's ever a song that sums up how our hearts want to live our lives, it's this one. I want to live my life my way. And the other song that rings in my head is Frank Sinatra's My Way, and we love that song. You know, I did it my way. And so for the first lyrics of the song we just, you know, sidestep to, you are my fire, my one desire. And the question that I want to ask you today came pretty quickly from that. What do you desire? Do you desire to know Jesus? And if I were to ask you if there was one way you wanted to live your life, whose would it be after? Would it be like Sinatra or the Backstreet Boys? Or would you say you want to live in step with Jesus? What do you desire? I think oftentimes we get caught up in picking and choosing what to form our lives around. What fits or works for me might be different than what works for you. And we see Jesus as this really good guy or like this good teacher. And we take some of his points, but not all. And we essentially make him a life coach. But I'm going to submit this thought to you this morning. That's not what it means to be a Christian. Not what it means to be a follower of Christ. Jesus wants to be your Lord. We see it often in Scripture where Jesus lays it out for us. Luke 6, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And John 8, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. The question being put in front of you today is a profound one. Where does the authority lie? Is Jesus your Lord or is he your life coach? I'll put it this way. If you were going to a counselor, you're going to counseling, what happens? You're sitting with someone to get their counsel, their advice to hear their perspective on life. And as you sit there, you contemplate and ponder and consider whether or not your decisions are going to shift as a result of this person's counsel. But at no point as you're sitting there do you call them master or lord or ruler. And you probably shouldn't. They're a counselor. They give you counsel. But the nucleus of authority lies with you. I decide what to do with my life. I want it my way. And what's interesting is that many of us approach Jesus the same way. Jesus can offer me some counsel. He can offer me some advice. He can give me some spiritual coaching. But if I don't like his line of reasoning, I'll pass. If I don't like these verses, I'll just quit reading them. If I don't like these suggestions, I'll just pick a different church that doesn't teach those verses, and I'll go to a church that I like. Pastor John preached on the last week, we treat Jesus like we're tempted to treat earthly authorities. I will submit if I agree. Or we, we never say, no, God. We just redefine God to fit our own image who conveniently matches all of our personal preferences. Tim Keller, a theologian a lot smarter than me, put it this way. If your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idolized version of yourself. And sometimes we even maybe want to hear from Jesus. You know, I want to know what he says, but the hub of authority, like it still lies with me because I want it that way. I decide, I rule, I'm master, I am Lord, my way. But the question I have for you today is, is Jesus your Lord or is he your life coach? Do you take his advice and then pass if you don't like it? Yeah, he can tell me how to handle my money, but stay out of my bedroom. I'll hear some of his advice on how to see myself, but I don't want to hear his advice on how to talk to somebody that I don't like. 
Do we amend what he says based on our personal preferences? The authority stays here with me. So sit over there, Jesus. I'll decide what's right and wrong. Or do we acknowledge you are Lord? You rule this place, and so what you say goes. When I look at these lyrics, it's as if we're saying these words to Jesus. You are my fire. God, you're great. I love you. My one desire. I want it. I want you, Jesus. Change my life. Believe when I say that I want it that way. But we're two worlds apart. But when I learn about what it really means to follow you, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. But yet, I don't really like that, and I don't want to. It feels like we're two worlds apart. I can't reach your heart. Oh, I'm not vibing with you, Jesus. When you say that you want it that way, when you have a standard that I don't like or agree with, that you have mapped out for us a certain way to live, that the creator of the universe has designed a good way for us to live, no, Lord, please don't say that you want it that way. And so that leads you to ask me, okay, what's his way? Well, Paul writes a letter to the church of Colossae. Christians not really living lives according to Jesus, but according to the culture. Christians who are quarreling and they don't get along very well. Paul writes to them and is like, hey, you're supposed to look different. Here's what he writes in chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if you have a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful." Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So Paul says that there were some practices that were consistent with who you were before Christ. And he says, you got to go kill those things. You don't do them anymore. He picks up this imagery of, of clothing. There were activities and ways of thinking that were like clothes that you wore. They, they were evident to everyone around who, you who saw you. There were clothes of your old life, and those clothes don't fit you anymore, so you have to take those off. There's ways of thinking, ways of talking to people, or ways of using your body that just don't fit anymore in this new life, so you take those off. And there is a way of thinking, a way of living, a way of treating people that is in line with this new life, and you put those on. There's enough here for a whole series, not just one sermon. So I'm going to give you an overview of the fashion of the faithful, how Christians should dress. Things to take off, things to put on. So if you say that Jesus is more than a life coach, that he's your Lord, then you got to take some things off. Here, number one 
In verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Okay, so in other words, we don't use each other. How are we meant to treat each other? I don't use you. Particularly in this text, he's talking sexually. He moves initially to sex. Later on, he moves to anger. Why? Because those are two powerful human impulses. You see it all over scripture and all over humanity. When sin festers in the human heart, you see the growth of sexual immorality and the growth of anger. You see the internet. And so here, all over scripture, when God gets a hold of a human life, the next thing he says is, so let's talk about your sex life. Let's talk about how angry you are. And if I say that Jesus is Lord, not my life coach, then I say that I trust the Lordship over my life. I say his way, not my way. I take my cues from him, not the culture. And that includes my sexual life and my angry heart. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And we did a whole other series on this topic, and we should probably talk about it again because it's that important. Go back, watch, listen to those sermons. It's important to God. And if we say that Jesus is Lord, it has to become important to you and me. We cannot say, no, Lord, because that's an oxymoron. There's a story about Augustine, and, and I don't even know if it's 100% true about him or not, but we do know that Augustine was a sex addict. And then he came to Christ, and there's a story of him that when he went back to his old towns, a woman from his former life came to him and whispered in his ear, Augustine, it is I. And he said back, Yes, but it is no longer I. I've been changed, not because of what I've done, but because of what Christ has done. I have been radically changed by him, so I radically change. We expect this of other people, don't we? If you have a friend or neighbors or a family relation come to you and say they've had a spiritual experience, you expect a moral change. If they say, I have met God but they're still selfish, they're still a bad listener, they're still stingy with their money, you might question their spiritual experience. Did you really? Or did you just go to a great concert? If someone's had a spiritual change, we expect a moral change. And here in this text, because of what Christ has done in your life, you now live life in a new way. You take off, you put on. If Jesus is your Lord, you have to change your clothes. And Paul moves from outward action to internal motivation, first from sexual immorality, impurity, passion, a distortion of what's good, and then evil desire, lust and craving, and covetousness, which is idolatry. He says, this activity that I'm condemning, if you trace it down, it comes down to covetousness. And what does to covet mean? I want for me. I don't care about you. You know, it's the opposite of love, upon which, by the way, Jesus, he says, that's where all commands rest, is love. But this term, it's a broad term. It doesn't just mean sexually. It can be anything. I want a bunch of followers on social media, and I don't care about you. I want a bunch of money, and I don't care about you. It's like playing Monopoly. I want for me, I don't care about you. And the danger is when we say, hey, sexuality is just about using my body for me then what we say to people in the culture is, I don't care about how you feel or what you think. I just want to use you. So number one, what's the first piece of clothing to take off? We don't use each other. Number two, we don't abuse each other. Verse eight, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. 
Okay, so Paul says, you got to change how you talk to each other. you got to put those all away. Here are more clothes. This don't fit you anymore. And here he starts with internal motivation and then moves to external activity. What do we put away? Well, anger and wrath. Anger is, I'm upset about something. You did something that bothers me. And wrath is the word thumos in Greek. It's like a, a thermometer, heat. When someone does something to bother me, rather than forgive them, let it go, I hold on to it. I just let it sit there and I churn as I get angrier and angrier. I preserve it. And then wrath turns to malice. Malice is a deliberate decision to do you harm. And then slander is, I take your name and I assault it. I assault your character to somebody else. And obscene talk is, I don't do it to somebody else. It's abusive language. Rather than talk to somebody else, I just talk bad to you. I use words like a weapon to hurt you. This is a normal way that humanity acts. If you don't believe me, go to Twitter. You know, go look up all the Facebook groups. That's what the world does. But Paul writes to say, we don't do that anymore. We're taking that off. Okay, so we take off using each other, and we take off abusing each other. And, and now we got to put on something new. we we got to change clothes. Why? You know, because Jesus is my Lord. He's not my life coach. In verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved hearts, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. What does the world need to see as we engage the world? They need to see what we have. And what we have is we are clothed with compassion and tailor-made with truth. It's interesting, Paul does not give us a lot of action up front. He goes to motivation first. Because our activity is always in effect. It's not a cause. We don't do things to earn God's approval. We do things because we are God's people. My heart naturally wants it its own way. But I have to train it. No, not my way. His way. Again, there's enough here for a whole series, not just one sermon. But let me just give you a few. The first piece of clothing that we need to put on is compassionate hearts. When Paul uses the word here, it translates to like lower intestines, guts. You're meant to have a gut-level concern for other people. At the deepest part of you, you have co-passion. That means if you're in pain, I, I hurt with you. I don't stand aloof from the hurting of other people. I care. This is Christianity 101. What happens when you come to Christ? You care about the suffering of other people. If you hurt, I hurt with you. And over whatever issue it may be, not just the ones I agree that should hurt. Just the other day, two young men and I, we heard about a great need in our community. So, you know, hey, we got dressed, we got changed, and we went to the, over to the other house and we helped. Okay, so the, the second thing to put on is in verse 13, bearing with one another. Put up with each other. One translation says, and I like this, it's funny, to continue to put up with the exacerbating conduct. That is your call as a believer. So just know when someone is exacerbating you, you can say, thank you, Lord, for a way to live out Colossians 3. <laughs> and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. That assumes that there will be grievances that, assume, that we have with each other. Will someone hurt your feelings? Yes. Will I? 
almost assuredly, Pastor John, very possibly, all of us will bang into each other in the wrong ways because that's humanity. But for the Christian, we have a way to solve that. We clothe ourselves with the compassion of Jesus. And so when you do something that hurts me, it doesn't say, well, if you have a complaint against one another, go post about it or give a prayer request to one of your friends. Uh, can, you, can you pray for somebody? You know, I, I don't want to mention his name. You know, his, his name is Mike D. Oh, sorry, that's too obvious. Um, how about Jay Eisman? Um, do we just fill church with gossip, this place with gossip, or do we forgive each other? And the word forgive here, it's a different word than other times. It's, it's built off the word grace, but more dramatic. It's when someone hurts you, you don't just go, it's, it's fine, don't worry about it, you know, it's fine. That's not even forgiving anyway. That's just saying, I'll hold this resentment until it's useful for me to leverage against you later. That's not grace. Grace is your, st- your sin stands at its full height, and the love of God stands taller still. The forgiveness, the grace, always exceeds and overflows the debt. And so because the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. But what if they don't deserve it? Of course they don't. You don't either. I don't either. That's not the game that we're playing. That's not the clothes we wear. We came to a God who forgave us while we are sinners. So we forgive each other while we are sinners. We say, Jesus is Lord, not my life coach. Not my way, his way. Christ forgives me, I'm going to then also forgive them. Okay, so remember, we're taking off, we're putting on, taking off, and putting on. We're taking off, using each other, we're taking off, abusing each other, we're putting on compassion, I care, and putting up with each other, forgiving each other. And so I'm going to continue to grace you. And now we're at the point where you're thinking, yeah, that's, that's great, Mike, but... How do I do that? Let's look back at the opening verses from this chapter that we haven't read yet. Verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. When my wife and I got a dog, there, there was a period of time where the puppy had to adjust to how I rule and test me. When we brought him into our home, that dog's identity shifted in a moment, mine, and his authority shifted in a moment, me. But his understanding of what that meant took time. He had to see what I was like. He had to see when he made a mistake. When I pee on the floor over all of the house, he still feeds me? Over time, then he realized, oh, this guy could be trusted, and found that my authority, it's not a burden, it's a joy. It is wonderful to be ruled by an authority who has affection over you. And that's who we are. We've been radically repositioned, radically changed because of the finished work of Jesus. We say, we tried it our way, didn't work. We tried it the culture's way, and that didn't work. And now I'm going to set my mind on things above. And when I set my mind on things above, I start to change how I'm seeing the world. My heart begins to change, and I begin to see that, you know, he has a new way for all of us to live, that we set our minds on him, not on things on earth, or how the culture sees it. And the second way for you to change your wardrobe, take off your old self, put on the new self, Paul writes in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another, and in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. He says, 
I want you to let the word of God dwell in you richly, both individually and corporately. We're meant to be filled with truth that it tailors and it trims our thinking and our speaking and our living. It's guided by these words. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And when you dwell somewhere, you live there, you take up residence. It says here that the word of Christ takes up residence in your heart. And so he's moved in. He lives there. It's, it's not an Airbnb. It's not your summer weekend beach house. He's not even a renter. He purchased your heart with his blood, and then he moved in. And when you move into a new place, you decorate it to fit your desires, right? You don't, you don't go, well, these couches, you know, you know, they were left here, and so I guess they're my couches now. No! If you buy a house and what was left there is ugly, you go, those couches? Out! Those curtains? Out! Gone! That rug? Rip it up! You begin to change things. And you say, I want these kinds of pictures hanging on the wall. I want these paint colors on, on these, these rooms. I want this type of decor. I want it to smell this way. Ooh, look, I got these candles. <clears throat> and what Jesus is saying is, I purchased your heart and I moved in. I am the Lord of your life, not a life coach. And when I move in, I get to say what entertains, what gives you joy in this house. I get to say what the bedroom is like. I get to decide what kinds of conversations happen around this table. I permeate this place because this is where I live. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, abundantly. That means a lot. The average American, and you've heard this before, spends seven and a half hours a day on a screen or phone, and about 9% of Americans interact with Scripture on a daily basis. But honestly, how much of the Bible are you reading a day or today? Is Jesus your life coach? Okay, then you can pick and choose. But if he is your Lord, then I encourage you, it should be rich and abundant. If you were to read your Bible an hour a day, like that, that'd be pretty good. That's a lot. So, okay, an hour a day versus seven hours a day on social media, Netflix, sports, the like, whatever. Or let's take the average. Some of you read it, you know, maybe zero minutes a day. Or, hey, five minutes a day, I scroll swiftly on my app. So half an hour a day. If you spend half an hour a day with the unchangeable word of God and seven hours a day with whatever the world brings to your day, let me ask you, who is discipling you at that point? Who is shaping your assumptions? Who is shaping your thinking? Who has tailored your assumptions who has formed the way you even think reality works and what human identity is? For many of us, if we're honest, when we rarely interact with these words, we judge it by the cultural norms rather than the other way around. Culture comes and goes. This word does not change. It remains forever. And we're meant to let it dwell in us richly a lot. And that's just one way. I don't have enough time to get into all of them from this one verse and some of you might not like that one or the next one I'm about to give you. But if Jesus is your Lord, you got to change your clothes. First way is to dwell in the word of God. And the second, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Really? Yes. I did a training last year with my youth leaders about how to help our students experience God. We talked a lot about the brain. And this applies to everyone, not just students. So adults, you know, everyone in the room. The conclusion that we learn is that we have to develop our anterior cingulate. That's right, anterior cingulate. 
And the anterior cingulate of the brain is like the, the middle, the middle section that acts as like a buffer between the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex. The amygdala, everyone touch your back of your head, that's the amygdala. The prefrontal cortex, that's the front of your head, right? So the anterior cingulate, it acts as the fulcrum, the seesaw. On one side, we have the logical and rational thought, prefrontal cortex. The other side, the amygdala. That's where the fear center happens. The anterior cingulate, it's the seesaw in between. And here's the cool part why I tell you this. Whichever part of the brain is dominant for you will have a huge impact on your faith. If you have a highly developed amygdala, fear-based faith, or if you have a highly developed prefrontal cortex, that's really rational faith, but a highly developed anterior cingulate allows you to understand and experience God as compassionate, personal, and other than yourself. Okay, great. So how do we develop that part of the brain? Well, you can look this up. Neurology has just recently taught us through prayer and spiritual singing. Sounds a lot like the verse we just read. Why do we have a band and sing songs together? It's not to be cool. Something happens in our brains and therefore in our hearts. It helps us understand and experience God as personal and compassionate. It helps you change your clothes. It helps you say, not my way, his way. So I encourage you, sing, pray. When you do, you're developing your anterior cingulate and you're changing your wardrobe. And some of you say, Mike, boy, if I'm going to do that, then a lot has to change in my life. Yeah, it, it does. And that sounds pretty difficult. It is. But it's a process. Remember in verse 10, you have put off the old self and you put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You are, in your identity, a new creation. It's done. And yet, you're still a mess. So you're being renewed in the image of your creator. So I am made new as a child of God. And yet, there's still this process of renewal that goes on that we're not perfect. We still carry so much of our old patterns and habits with us that God has to work on us. And so we have this new self. And now we're meant to be renewed in knowledge. I keep learning. I keep reading my Bible. I keep looking at Jesus that I'm transformed by the renewing of my mind. That as I appear at Christ, I become more like him. I'm renewed in knowledge in the image of my creator. The way I use my mouth, the way I use my body, I want to be constructive, not deconstructive. I want to be compassionate, not harsh, angry, and cruel. That God is working on me, and as he's working on me, I want to be people that step out into the culture with compassion. And then Paul closes out this section in verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul ends with where we began. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's not a life coach. He rules all things. And saying no, Lord, that's an oxymoron. We say yes so that everything, every word, every deed comes under the lordship of Jesus Christ. If I can't say that thing in Jesus' presence, I don't say it. If I can't do that thing in front of him, I don't do it. But if there are things that he affirms, I say them. If there's things he approves, I do them. I want to live in accordance with the king because the world needs to see an authority who loves. The beautiful mixture of grace and truth. And for those of you who have made so many mistakes, welcome to the club. And you look and you might say, ah, you know what? I did pursue a lot of those old clothes, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, anger, wrath, malice, and slander. 
And I found out why the Bible doesn't call it freedom, but calls it slavery. Taking cues from myself leads me to bondage, not freedom. I realize that what I thought would set me free has bound me to some shame. It's bound me to some regret. And the good thing is that, you know, Paul looks at you and says, yeah, that's how you used to walk. But those are your old clothes. That you died. You have new clothes. You have an opportunity today to strip those old ways off and put on a new way. Not to earn God's smile, but because you already have it. Not to prove anything to you, but just as a natural outworking of saying, I trust him. You have an opportunity for that renovation of identity to become a renovation of activity. You have the opportunity to decide today to say, yes, Lord, you are my Lord, not a life coach. I wanted it that way, my own way. I really have a hard time not letting it be my way. But at the end of my life, I don't want to look back and go, ha, I did it my way. I want to look back and go, you know what? I did it his way. 